Who knows? God knows who it is. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, if, if you know this whole story, I know we started this a month ago. This is four weeks ago. It's the same passage that we read. But if you know this story, Saul is king of Israel. But he's not God's king of Israel. Saul, Saul is not God's choice. Saul is the people's choice. God's choice was for God to be king over his people. God himself was to be king over the nation of Israel. But they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like all the ones out in the world. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a king. And they desired to have Saul because he was head and shoulders above everyone else. So you have this tall, muscular, good-looking young man. And they decide that's who they want to be king. So I want you to understand as we go forward that Saul was not God's perfect chosen king. This is God's permissive will. So God has a permissive will when we come before him sometimes, even if it's not in his perfect will, he has a permissive will. But what we saw when we began this four weeks ago, looking at how, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 13, this is the removal of Saul as the king. When, when Samuel, the prophet, was sent by God to tell Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For, for now, I, I want you to listen. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. I, I'm not through, but I, I, want, I want to make sure you see that right there. That is so important for, for all of us because Saul is God's permissive will according to the people. And here's God, God is saying of his permissive will, of the one that he put there because the people want him. And he says, if you would have just obeyed my word, you're not even my first choice. You're not even the perfect plan. You're not even exactly who I had originally put here. I was going to do this myself. But, but the nation of Israel wanted a man. You're not even my first choice. But here's the deal. If you would have just obeyed my word, if you would have just followed my God, he says, I would have established thy kingdom, your kingdom upon Israel forever. But now, there's the but now, because you didn't, thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, since David is the only man who God himself says that he is a man after mine own heart, it only makes sense to look at the life of David if we truly desire to be someone after God's own heart. So a month ago, I was going to do a message on how to be a man after God's own heart. And as I was studying that week, God showed me you're not ready for that yet. You ain't preached this yet. There's a step one before you can get to step two. And so what I thought was going to be a little 20 or 30 minute message one morning, we're now in week four of how. And, and unless the Lord shows me something different, I'll just go ahead and show you. We could, we could do this for a year. We could do this for a year looking at the word of God on how to be somebody after God's own heart. But un unless God changes it, we'll just call this the final chapter. And, and we'll, we'll make this part four, the final part this morning. But we will leave that up to the Lord. Let us pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for the choir's work this morning, Lord. I pray that you were glorified. I pray that you were honored. I pray, Father, that, that you were lifted on high, God. That, that it was pleasing to your ears as they sang to you, God. They weren't singing to us, God. They were singing before us. 
but it was music to you, Father. I pray that you'd be pleased with everything that happens in this place. God, I pray you'd move upon us, your people. Help us, God. I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds, cut us where we need to be cut, break us where we need to be broken, and mend us where we need to be mended, God. I pray, Father, would you show us how can we be this person that, that desires to be a, a man, a woman, an individual in search of your own heart, God. Help us, Father. Teach us this morning. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. So looking at David's life, it helps us to see the characteristics that we should display in our own lives if, if we're going to be followers of Christ. Now we look at the fact, the very first thing we looked at is the fact that David has some sin in his life. At the beginning of the message last week, I, I made a statement that I hope everybody heard. When I was preparing it, God said, no, that's step two. Here's step one. And we looked at the sins of David. We looked at Bathsheba. We looked at murder. Not just Uriah, but all around. And we looked at the sins. But last week, I made the statement as we started looking at how to be a man after God's own heart. David's sin is not what made him a man after God's own heart. Here's the part that everybody here, live stream, YouTube, everybody, everybody needs to hear. Because we all have sin. It may not be Uriah. It may not be Bathsheba. But we all have sin in our lives and, and on our plate. And here's what's important to remember. David's sin isn't what made him a man after God's own heart. But neither did it disqualify him from being that man. Because of the grace of God, you have no sin in your life, no sin in your past, no guilt on your plate that God cannot establish you, settle you, forgive you, cleanse you, and, and help us to be a person after his own heart. Now, what David understood was that confession and repentance leads to restoration. Confession and repentance leads to restoration. So that's where we started psalm chapter 32 a psalm of david says blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven anybody thankful that your sins are forgiven anybody thankful for the precious blood of jesus anybody thankful that we're coming up on the christmas season rejoicing christmas season when the son of god himself stepped down out of glory came down in the middle of a silent night to pay for my sin david says Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Can I tell you something else? Just to pause, that's an Old Testament word, covered. Our sin's not covered. Our sin is erased. Sin in that day was covered by the blood of the lambs and the rams and the bulls and the goat. Our sin today is erased, forgiven, forgotten, removed, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, separated as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up, never to be reminded. God will never bring your sin up again. When you mention your sin, God says, what sin? That's established under the blood. It's been cleansed, so ours isn't covered. It, it is erased. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. That, that means a pause. That is like a suspension in music there. So David pauses. Then he comes back and he says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And then David pauses again. 
Psalm chapter 51. This would be a really good one. I hope you already have it marked in your Bible. This is a great prayer. Open your Bible. Read this prayer for yourself, for your family every morning. This is just a great place to be. David writes this one. This is after Nathan the prophet has come and confronted him about Bathsheba. And he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Boy, this is a good prayer to pray right here. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Can, can I just tell you, sin is wrong. Sin is against God and, and God only. But sin is not a disqualification for serving God if sin is confessed because it is forgiven and forgotten. So we looked in part one of how that step one has to take place before we can get to step two. Number one, we have to be saved. You cannot be in the world and be someone who is after God's own heart. So the first confession has to be, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And there has to be a salvation of the soul. But unless you're different than me, that didn't make us perfect. It just made us forgiven. So, so the confession is a continual thing to keep the plate clean. So that's what we saw has to come first. Now, last week, we only had time to look at one character trait. It was a little short on time. And we only looked at the character trait of worship. And, and I hope we established one thing in your life as the world and troubles and trials and everything comes against you. I hope you haven't forgotten because I ask you to remember that worship is the one thing that can change everything. Worship is the one thing that can change all of our situation. David is a man who understood the, the, the importance of continually worshiping God even in the hard times. He worshiped God even in the bad times. He worshiped God even when it, there, there seemed to be no answer. There seemed to be no solution. There seemed to be no way out. David worshiped God. In Psalm chapter 38, or 138, David says in verse number 1, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Psalm chapter 119, verse number 164, David said, Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. So if we're going to be somebody that God himself would call a person after mine own heart, then we must have a priority of worship. But this morning I want to move on and look at just a few more character traits. I'm not going to put all of them, even that was on the list last week. But I want to look at the next character trait that David is a man of prayer. If we're going to be somebody after God's own heart, 
We're going to have to be a people of prayer. Psalm chapter 55, David said in verse 16, As for me, I will call upon God. The Lord shall save me. Verse 17, Evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. David said, at the very least, when my feet hit the floor in the morning, I'm going to spend time in prayer. When my lunch time comes, I'm going to spend the middle of my day in prayer. And at night before I lay down and go to bed, I'm going to spend my evening in prayer. At the very least, three times a day, I'm going to go before God in prayer. Because prayer is communication with the one that can change your situation. Prayer is communication with the one who cares about your broken heart. Prayer is communication with the one who understands your finances. Prayer is communication with the one who understands family situations. Prayer is simply communication with God who can change everything. Prayer is a relationship. It is working on that one-on-one. -on -one. How many of you have your best friend who you never talk to? How many of you, your best friend in this day of your life, the, the one is your very best friend on this planet, you never talk to them, you never call them, you never text them, you never social media, they're, they're, they're absent in your life for all purposes, but they're, yet they're your best friend. See, see, prayer is the relationship with the one that did come on Christmas Day to save us. Prayer gives us strength. It shows our faith. It shows our trust. It shows our desire to have that relationship with him. It shows our loyalty to him. So prayer is a necessity. But a, a consistent prayer life is going to lead to another character trait that we see in David. And that is the character trait of, of humility. See, 2 Samuel chapter 7, God sent Nathan the prophet. He sent him again to speak to David. He said, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took them from Saul, whom I put away before thee. In thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever and ever. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in, sat before the Lord, and said, Who am I? Who, who am I, O Lord God? And, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Who, who am I? That you would set me up, that you would forgive me of my sins, that, that you would give me a kingdom, that you would establish me. He, he said, who am I? See, here's, here's the definition of humility. By Noah Webster's 1828, it is defined as freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. That's humility. Now, in theology, humility consists in lowliness of mind. A deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. It's simply understanding who we are. Sinners saved by the grace of God. See, see, our salvation is not deserved. It's the grace of God. Our forgiveness is not merited. It's the mercy of God. Our eternal life is not earned. It is the gift of God. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32 says, He that refuseth instruction despises his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. It's a whole lot easier in this life to see ourselves for what we are, sinners worthy of hell 
saved by grace, on our way to heaven. It's a whole lot easier to see ourselves as where we are and to work every day and strive to be humble than it is to be humbled. Because God will humble the proud. First Peter chapter 5, the word of God says in verse number 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So what, what we see here in the life of David is that we're, if we're a person of confession and, and repentance and we're a person of praise and worship and, and we're a, a person of prayer, then we can become this person of humility. But if we become all of those and we become this, this person of humility, there, there's another character trait that I'm fixing to lose everybody with. And I'm thankful we saved this one for last and not first. So y'all want to come back till we finish this whole little series right here. Because if we become that confession and repentance, and we become praise and worship, we become the person of prayer, and we become a person of humility, then the next character trait is obedience. Obedience in everything. Obedience in every single area of my life, bar none. Nothing to be left out. No pet sins. No hidden secrets. No, this is me on Sunday. This is me on Monday. It, it, it is to be a person of obedience in every area of my life. Y'all ready? This is going to sting. David is a man who understood that everything he had came from God. And David was a man that because of that understood the necessity of giving back to God. Not, not because God needs anything. God doesn't need anything. But, but because David wanted to show God what meant more to him. And God offers us the same opportunity. What means more to you? 2 Samuel chapter 24. David has committed another sin here in this text. Now, this isn't Bathsheba. This isn't Uriah. This isn't murder. Here's the sin that David has committed. He had a census done on the nation. He numbered the people. That's his sin. He numbered the men so that he might know how many men of war he had in Israel. That's not a big deal, right? The, the truth is, no, it's not. There's nothing wrong with the census. There's nothing wrong with numbering the people. Here's what was wrong. God told him not to. See, it doesn't matter what's in your life. It doesn't matter how small it seems. It doesn't matter if everybody else on the planet can do it and get away with it. If God's told you not to do it, then to you it is a sin. And if God's told you to do it, then not to do it is a sin. So David's great sin here is that he has numbered the people. Now because of that, God has sent a plague on the nation of Israel and 70,000 men have died so far. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 17, David spake to the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people. And he said, lo, I, I have I've sinned. I, I've done wickedly. The, these sheep, what, what, have, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Gad came on that day to David. He said unto him, go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Adonai the Jebusite. 
So, so David goes up to Adonai, who, by the way, is the king. He's not anyone who serves God. He's not anyone who appreciates the God of Israel or, or serves the God of Israel. He is simply another king. And out of respect to David, David goes up to him and he says, Hey, here's why I'm here. I got to do a sacrifice. The Lord sent me. And here's what Adonai says. He says, Take it. Take everything you need. Here's all you need. Here are, here are the oxen for the sacrifice. Here's the wood for the altar. Here's the wood for the fire. Here's the instruments of the threshing floor. Here's everything you need. I just want to be a blessing to you. I just want to help you. Here's everything you have. And David said, absolutely not. I will pay you every dime that everything is worth. Here's what he said. I will offer nothing to my God which cost me nothing. David said, I can't sacrifice unto God if it's not a sacrifice. I can't call it a sacrifice if I have no skin in the game. I can't call it a sacrifice if I didn't feel anything from it. So he said, I'm going to offer nothing to my God. You know, the, the missionary Steve Nutt said it last week, and I don't remember exactly how he said it. So I'll just tell you what, my, I'll tell you how I put it in my mind so that I remember so I don't forget it. This is the way I remember it. Tithing is a commandment. That, that is what God puts out. That is the first 10% of the fruit of the land. So, so what he said, the way I remember, the way it registered to me is tithing was a commandment, but an offering is a commitment. That, that's the way I remember what he said. That, that's the way I remember that, that he put it. So, so giving our tithes shows obedience to the commandments of God, but offering comes with a sacrifice. It shows our love for God. So, so David, David had a desire in his life. David wanted to build a great, magnificent, as the word we'll see in the scripture, magnificent building. He wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build a temple for God, for people to come to worship. He wanted to build a building second to none. And God said, absolutely not. God told him, said, you've got blood on your hands from all the wars and things. So, so we, we can't do that, but, but you're going to have a son. First Chronicles chapter 22, David is telling his son Solomon about it. Verse number 6, he called for Solomon his son. He charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So he's telling his son now about what he's going to do. He says in verse 7, David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it, it was in my mind to build a house into the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house under my name, because that thou hast shed, shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Verse number 9, Behold, a son be born unto thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, I will be his father. I'll be and, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, David could have been mad about that. Da David could have pouted. Anybody ever come up with a great idea of something you wanted to do for God, and it was a great idea, but God just wouldn't give you the resources, wouldn't make it happen for you to do it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was a great idea, right? I mean, all I wanted to do was do something for God. Why would you not help me do that? Why would you not help it go that way? Why, why would you not help? So David, David could have pouted about it. All he wanted to do was just, just build this house for God. So, so David's not allowed to build the house. But what he did do was prepare everything for the building of the house. God didn't say you can't buy the stuff. 
God didn't say you can't store up in preparation for it. God just said you can't build it. So if you back up to verse number 1 there in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. He prepared iron in abundance for the nails and for the doors of the gates and for the joinings. Brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. The house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, Fame and glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared, anybody see that word? Abundantly. Before his death. He gave the gold. He gave the silver. He gave the iron. He gave the bronze. He gave the brass. He bought the cedar trees. Which if you've not ever studied. That was of an extreme value. Trees in that day. In that region. Any tree. Any wood. Was of great value. But especially the, the cedar wood. According to modern day calculations. David stored up. In preparation to, to build it there. David had 20 billion dollars invested in this temple david put 20 billion dollars of his own funds in to build this temple that he knew he would never see because god didn't tell him you can't store up for it god didn't tell him you can't offer god didn't tell him you can't show your love and want he just said you can't physically build it so at the, at the invocation of Solomon as king, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 21, they sacrificed sacrifices unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord. That was on that day. On the morrow, the day after, even a thousand bullocks and a thousand rams and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance. There's that word again. He, he put in abundance sacrifices for all Israel. See, somebody who truly wants to be a man after God's own heart understands not only the obedience to the word, not only the obedience against sin, but the obedience to the tithe. They understand the obedience to the offering. They're like, oh man, it's Christmas, he's preaching. Yeah, no, I'm just preaching. It, it's, it's, just, it's just a book. We are coming up on the birthday of Jesus. Two weeks out. We have been in every store on the top side of this planet. We have been to every website. We've been to websites we didn't know existed because we just punched in names and it came up and we shopped there. Some of us ordered some stuff we didn't think was there and we found out it wasn't. It wasn't a legitimate website and we sent them our money anyway. And you ain't never going to get it back and they're gone. We have racked, oh, we, we, we've racked our brains trying to, to think of what we're going to get. I mean, we, we've done Black Friday. We've done Cyber Monday. But we, we thought of people we're going to buy gifts for. And I mean, we literally, there are some people you're going to have ulcers by New Year's because you're so upset about it, you don't know what to get somebody for Christmas. We, we've turned Christmas into this time of anxiety and preparation. And, and we're worried so much about what am I going to get so-and-so? What you going to get so-and-so? Well, they've got everything. What you going to get? What am I going to get? Have we stopped for one second in all the hustle bustles? What am I going to do for Jesus on his birthday?
We're, we're, so, we're so caught up in the shopping, and here we are shopping, and all of a sudden our Bible verse of the day pops up, and we swipe it off because it got right in the way of where I'm trying to shop. And what it was trying to tell me is it's all about Jesus. You, you're all caught up in this stuff. Your world's upside down. You're frantic, and, and man, we're two weeks out, and I've got all this left to do. And, and the Bible verse pops up trying to remind us it's all about Jesus. If Jesus truly is the reason for my season, then what am I going to do for Jesus? Well, we already got a lot. Christmas is on Sunday. Oh, we're going to have church. You bet your bottom dollar. You bet your bottom dollar. 1030 right here. Everybody in the house. I, I thought about. I prayed about. I thought, man, Sunday morning, service 1030, everybody in the house. What a, what a great opportunity to pass a plate in the house. You know, we pass a plate in forever, right? Unless we're taking up for missionaries. What a great opportunity to pass a plate in the house and let people show their love for the Lord. But God's not going to let me do that. God doesn't want me to make it a requirement. He wants you to show him how much you love him. So I'm not going to say you can't bring the gift. What I'm saying is I'm not going to pass the plate. Because I believe God wants that to be up to each one of us. I, I believe God wants that to be our own. Listen, I know it's the end of the year. I know you get ties in. You've got two weeks to get it in for tax credit and all those things. This, this has nothing to do with any of that. What, what matters is what do we want to do that gives honor to God. I believe God's leaving that up to us. Tithing is a commandment. Offering is a commitment. So... If we want to be somebody after God's own heart, God, God has given us a man. He, he set a man before us as an example. Not, not a perfect man. A, a man with adultery. A, a man with murder. A man who disobeyed the commandments of God. I, I mean, a man with sin. A man who deals with the flesh every day when he gets out of bed, just like you and I. A man that struggles with problems. God has given us a man as an example. But he said, that man of sin was a man after my own heart. And because God is no respect to a person, I know that if I could just do like David, it would be enough. I'm not talking about trying to be like Jesus Christ, the perfect, only begotten son of the living God, who never had a sin, never had a fault. He didn't say we have to be like Jesus to be a man after God's own heart. He said our desire, our heart should be to be Christ-like. We ought to live every day, every minute of our life, that people see Christ in us. Who we are out there on Monday ought to be the same person we are right here on Sunday. The way we live our life on Friday night ought to be the exact same way we live our life at 1030 on Sunday morning. We ought to strive to be Christ-like in everything we do. He said, but you want to be a man after God's own heart? Here's your example, and it ain't Christ. It's this man with all this sin named David. You just be like him. You just have that kind of prayer life, that, that kind of study life. You just have that kind of confession to your sin. You just have that kind of obedience in your tithe and in your offerings. You just be like that. And you'll be a man after God or a woman. You'll be a person after God's own heart. So God gave us the example. The question is, what will we do with it? God has given us four weeks of examples on what this man after God's own heart looks like. The question is, what do we have to do different? 
I want to ask you if you would, just go ahead and stand. Four weeks ago, we looked at one simple question. One simple question. Here's the question. Y'all ready? Who in here wants your life to be pleasing to God? Who in here wants to live your life in a way that God himself would look at you and say, that is a person after mine own heart? That was the question. And almost everybody, if not everybody in here, raised our hand and said, I want to be that kind of person. Well, there he is. With all of his sin, with all of his failure, with all this there, there's the things that he did right. There's what it took to earn that title. Four weeks of instructions on how to be like a man that we might truly be somebody after God's own heart. So the truth is, what will we do with it? What, what confession, what repentance, what, what changes need to take place in our life for God to be able to say that about me? What, what, what adjustments do I have to make in, in my life? When, when I look at, at these things that God has shown us about David, what adjustments do I need to change in my life to look like that? I don't know. That, that's obviously between you and God. A lot of us have just the little things in our life. And it's just the little things like, hey, I want to I count the people and see how many men of war I got. And God says, nope. And we number the people anyway. Well, that doesn't really seem like a big deal. And it's not a big deal if your neighbor does it. It's not a big deal if somebody around you does it. Your co-worker does it. They're, they're, listen. There are things that people around you do in your life that you don't particularly have a scripture for to show that it's a sin. And that's the things that they do. But you know in your heart it ain't right for you. That means it's a sin for you. To each their own. Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There are things that God gives every one of us to do. And to not do what God gives us to do is a sin. So whatever there is that we need to get right, whatever there is need to be worked out, that, that is to each one their own. Every one of us have our own plate to try to get cleaned off. But I'm very thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that washes every stain off my plate. Every sin out of my past. E everything that I've done wrong. And you know, we, I made the statement, I was, I was talking to somebody about a week and a half ago. And to be honest, I, I named the sin... I pointed out a sin, and, and I asked them to just review their life. I said, all, all I want you to do is look at what you're doing. All, all I want you to do is look at what you're doing that the public eye is seeing, and you look at it. You look at it, and you say, whether or not it's of God, because it's of the world, it's worldly stuff. And, and, and so the individual got mad Here's my statement. The problem with the world today is they don't like it when you call sin by its first name. They, they like pet names. Alternate lifestyle. No, no, no. Um, you know, a little on the side. No, 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 no. This adultery. It, the Bible says to, to talk about somebody, to tear a man down with the lips is to hate a man. It says it's to kill a man. Matter of fact, the Bible also, if you thought it, you might as well have done it. Don't go out and do the things you thought. <laughs> well, I've already done it. I will do it. No, what you need to do is ask God to help me with my thoughts. Control my mind. 
Help me, God. Forgive me of every evil thought, every evil deed, every evil imagination of the heart, everything that I've looked at, God. Help me to be pleasing to you. So we have to start somewhere. Might as well be here, right? I want to ask you guys if you would. If you just you bow your heads where you are, you're welcome to use the altar if you want to pray. You want to thank God it's Christmas. You want, you want to thank God for his blessings. You want to come ask God to help you. So whatever you want to do, but you got your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you, is there anybody in this house that you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy it would be to stand so close to salvation and end up lost. What a tragedy it would be to stand so close to heaven and end up in hell. When the gift is free, the gift of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He, he told us he's the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way under the Father but by him. The word of God tells us none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. There's one way to be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. So I'm not asking you where your church membership is. I, I, I'm not asking you how often do, do you read a Bible or how often do you pray. One simple question. If you died right now, are you going to heaven? Do you know it? That, that's, that's the most important question in your mind. And to be honest, there's only two people that know the answer to that question. It, it doesn't matter how good you try to be or try to be in the choir or serve in, in a ministry. There's only two people that know the answer to the question. That's you and God. You know in your heart if you've trusted Christ. You know in your heart if you say because the, the Holy Spirit has moved in and you've become a new creature. Would you go to heaven if you died? That's the question. If you don't, you can change your eternal destination now. It's Father, forgive me. There must be that confession. Father, forgive me. I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I'm just asking you to save my soul. In Jesus' name. I believe in the blood. I believe in the cross. But I believe in the empty tomb. And I believe in forgiveness. And I'm just asking you to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I just want to go to heaven when I die. And I know I can through the name of Jesus. You just ask him, Father, will you save my soul in Jesus' name? See, here's the deal. If, if you're faithful and just to confess your sins and ask him to save your soul, if you trust him enough to ask, he's faithful enough to answer. If you just put it all on the table for him, say, Father, I just want to know. Before I lay my head down tonight, I want to know that I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I, I know it's Christmas. I, I know. I know the story. I know why Jesus stepped down out of glory. I know why he came of a virgin named Mary. I know that he came to this earth to pay for my sin debt. I know he lived the perfect life. I know he did everything for me. And he is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I know that I had never accepted that free gift. But I want to do it today. And it'll change your Christmas. It'll change your life. It'll change your new year. Most of all, it'll change your eternity. Father, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you, sweet, precious Lord Jesus, that you would step down off of a throne and come down and pay such a horrible price for somebody like me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you'd come down, Lord, and Lord, led as a lamb to the slaughter and open not your mouth. You told us yourself that you could have called to the Father and had 12 legions of angels come and destroy the earth if, if that need be.
Lord, you did, and you paid the price for us. <laughs> Father, I just want to tell you, thank you for coming. Lord, thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus, you truly are the reason for the season. God, I pray you'd help us to get our hearts right. I pray you'd help us to be that, that one that you could look down on us and be pleased and be happy with your children. That you might look down and say, well, that is one of my children. They are truly after mine own heart. God, it is our heart's desire to be that person that we might be pleasing to you. We love you, God. You've been good to us, Lord. We thank you. We trust you and we praise you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. You guys are welcome to keep praying. If you would, come down. Come take pictures or anything. Do any of that.